The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Restoration Radio Network. The show attempts to deal with the questions that you've always wanted to ask Father, maybe at coffee and donuts, maybe at some other time, but you just don't have time to do it. And the priest who's going to be assisting us as he does every show is Father Stephen McKenna. Father, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Well, Father, today we are going to get into etiquette at Mass. In a broader sense, the last show we did etiquette towards priests, so we're staying in, you could say, etiquette country, but we Uh have to talk, uh, I guess, I don't want to use the word, um, but I can't think of an equivalent uh, English or at least an American idiomatic phrase of pregame, sort of, what what do we do, what do we do before Mass? How how do we prep for Mass? Um, I, I guess we could call it pre mass so I, I guess we should start. We should start with pre-mass. Uh, what uh, what should we be doing um, on any day that we're going to mass, um, either as we're dressing or as we're on our way to church? Um, and how does that? Uh, I guess how do we time that with when do you want us at church? How, how when should we arrive? So let's start with that. All right. All right. Very well. You know the 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 mass is something that for us as Catholics is is the most important thing that we can do in a day. When we think about it, it's truly Christ coming down upon the altar. It's Calvary all over again. It's it's literally our salvation there before us and our Creator there before us. And so going into it, just like anything that's important in our lives, we have to, we can't just jump into it without any kind of thought or prayer or preparation or whatsoever. I oftentimes think of, you know, in terms of either sports or business, like you said, pregame, it's kind of a good analogy, actually, because I would never, when I was playing sports, I would never go into, say, a baseball game without warming up and getting ready for it and mentally preparing, and I wouldn't go into a business meeting where I was doing a presentation without going over my notes and doing preparation for that. Uh, same thing with mass it's infinitely more important than that and we should prepare ourselves spiritually and mentally for for mass we should uh, we should get there early and do some preparation prayers either devotions that we have uniting ourselves with the sacrifice of the mass we should we should get there uh, and read over the the actual propers of the mass what I mean by propers is in the introit the collects the the epistle and gospel and 
all the rest of the prayers proper for that day for the Mass and basically get ourselves united with the spirit of the feast of that day and the Mass that we're about to hear and also to have that calming effect of our soul um, to be able to better participate at the Mass in that regard. It, it's the, interesting, um, Father, how, how hard it is, you know, to get away from that. We we may not necessarily live in New York or have a very hectic life, but it takes just it takes some time when you you sit down, you 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 genuflect, you kneel, and I feel like sometimes it just takes some time just to to wipe out and get and and be there, even if you are praying the rosary or you're trying to get yourself in the mood or in in not in the mood, it's a bad bad phrase, but in in, in the right space on your way, even then, when you get in there, it, it, you've got to shed the world. It's, it's a challenge, isn't it? Oh, for sure. Uh, our whole lives are wrapped up in everything in the world that goes on around us. And we can't just turn it off like a light switch. I, I one time saw at, a, at an office space that I was managing when I was working before seminary, and it was a sign to their meeting room, and it was kind of cheesy, but it, it, in a way it works for the show today to, to get that mind frame. It said, check your attitude at the door. Well, for us, you know, the, the whole world around us is contrary, to our, is contrary to moving us towards God. And the church is our oasis. We, you know, the Mass actually literally happens in the, in the sanctuary of the church, and we have to look at the church as, as our sanctuary, as our safe place from all the rest of the cares and the, the, the stresses of the world, all the little day-to-day worries or plannings or whatever it may be that go through our head, even simple things like getting dinner ready or whatever it may be. We have to leave those things behind because those, don't, those all have a proper place in our lives, but not there for Mass. We can leave our worries as it were, at the door. Or better yet, take if we have real worries like sick family or special intentions, uh, you know, conversion of people, you know, lay those worries at the feet of our Lord and, and say, I'm here to worship you, God. You take care of these things and let my soul calm down so I can better be able to not only attend Mass prayerfully but also to gain as many fruits and merits from it because I'm more attentive and more focused on what is at hand and not all the other junk that's going on in in my life or in my head or whatever it may be. I guess, Father, I, I, I'm curious, and obviously as, as a cleric, your your preparation for Mass is different, but let, let's... Let's uh, do a little fantasizing here because this doesn't, this doesn't happen for you. So let's pretend for a minute you don't have to be your own driver, that you don't have to hear <laughs> confessions right before you have to Mass, that sometimes you don't have anyone assisting you for, vet, for vesting, that uh, you, you have your vestments laid out for you. So let's assume best-case scenario, like when we were at the seminary together in November. And even then you had mm-hmm. to practice as part of the uh, – because you were, you were the deacon or, or you were the – you were one of the deacons or the subdeacons for the order, so you, you had to practice. So in an ideal world, let's say you're at the seminary and you don't have any of your regular parish duties, what's your preparation for Mass like? Tell us a little bit about how you get ready. And obviously it's, it's a whole different thing getting ready to celebrate Mass, but maybe we can get some insight to, to make our preparation better. All right. Very well. Well, oftentimes my preparation for Mass will include several things. One is 
I, I often try to tie in if it's if I have a morning mass, I usually try to tie in my morning meditation before mass because I think that for me anyways that gets me my thoughts all focused on the spiritual life and and gives me uh, you know that like I said that calming and that peace of soul um, and also that focus on the things of God uh, in that regard. I then will follow it up by actually reading the mass text themselves, like I had said as a recommendation for people, is, is reading the Mass for that day, the prayers for that Mass and, the, and the, the readings for that Mass ahead of time. That way I'm not trying to translate as I'm reading or trying to get a sense of the feast. I, I already have that in my mind. I've already united my soul in that way. And then for me also, that, uh, that reading it, it's not the first time seeing the text. It's something that I, I've said, I've read over already. And um, and then I then there's prayers there's preparation prayers for priests that are in the back the back of the missal or on cards in the in the sacristy uh, or in our breviary that are there the different psalms and prayers of the church that re- the church recommends for us to say so all of those things are our preparation for leading up to mass and if I have a little extra time uh, before mass say it's a little later then perhaps I'll pray the breviary especially matins where it has lessons uh, regarding the feast, uh, especially the second nocturne for, you know, lives of the saints and things like that. So oftentimes those are what go into to my mass prep- preparation. You know, it, it's, it's kind of, uh, it takes a bit of time, but it's ideally that's, that's le- you know, leaving everything behind and really focusing myself on the task at hand, which is, you know, offering the sacrifice of mass. And so for me, that's, what I do, and while some of those things certainly don't apply to the people, I think in general that spirit, like you said, Stephen, would, that idea of meditating on things of God, laying uh, your worries there, reading the Mass text, uniting yourself with the feast or the Sunday, whatever it may be, and, uh, and, and reading oftentimes a hand missile will have even little commentary on the feast or the or the Sunday, uh, and commentary on the readings that you can also read and prepare yourself for. I think um, one of the things that you get to do as a priest that is a, a real preparation, obviously, is the uh, your vest your vestition prayers because each of those not only is reaffirming your vocation but really is getting you ready, and that's something. I, I personally can recommend, I, I read those prayers myself. Obviously, I'm not vesting, but I feel like, for, for me, those prayers are very fruitful. Oh, very much, because they oftentimes, I mean, the virtues obviously are applying to the priest's life, but a lot of times things like, you know, purity and chastity or uh, guarding ourselves against in, uh, the uh, against evil thoughts, like the prayer for putting on the amos and all of those things, those those prayers have an overlap and a carryover to to the faithful. And I think you, you're right. That's that is uh, another great thing. And in a way, you're uniting yourself because that's another important point to to make is that mass is not just the priest saying mass. It's not the priest mass alone. It's all of our mass. You're if you're there assisting at a mass, you are truly assisting. You are. That is your sacrifice as well as the priest. And so by any way you can unite yourself to that sacrifice and to the prayers of the priest are, are always very fruitful. 
<laughs> right. So Father's saying that it actually means something when he turns around and says Arate Fratres. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, now, Father, I, I, obviously, I think that that part of uh, what we're obviously we can use scripture verses. You said the propers of the mass. I think that that's I think that that's good and commendable for people who you know want more than that. I suppose we we by default have to mention the liturgical year by Dom Guranger. Oh, for sure. That's always wonderful. I mean. Oftentimes he he is commenting commenting on uh, like the second nocturne les- lessons, for instance. He often lists those lessons uh, there and also has commentary on it. And then you know, it, then in regards to either the feast day itself, he expounds upon it. Or it, when we come into different seasons, you, you want to read something beautiful about the say the season of of Advent, for instance. He has a huge section on just what, it, what Advent is and the history of it and the, and the, and the, the spirit of, of that season. All these things uh, from Don Garen Jay are, are so wonderful and so fruitful that uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful source of, of, of not only mass preparation, but just even daily reading in regards to, to the faithful because that is something that uh, you, even if you can't make it to mass, say on a random Wednesday, you can still be one in mind with the with the the liturgical year of the church, and uh, also uniting yourself at least in, spiritually uh, with the masses that priests are saying that day. I I, I have to warn people though, Dom Granger, being a Benedictine, he likes to throw that that guilt in there. He'll say, you know, the Easterns have never given up this type of fasting. You know, sort of a little. <laughs> little reminder to the Rome, the Romans, the Western, and say, hey, you know, nothing's, nothing's going to stop you from doing a little extra fasting, uh, fasting and penance also. I notice he, he does that all <laughs> No matter what season I'm in, you know, Dom Grange is saying, you know, the Easterns are always, you know, they've always done such and such. And you think he, he's using that as an excuse to tell you that, hey, you people need to do it also. So I think that's also appreciated from Dom Grange, never, never letting us off the hook. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's no such thing as a free lunch in, in his uh, in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> so before we enter into Mass proper, Father, so I think you, you've taken us to the beginning of Mass, so we're not quite at the prayers of the foot. Can you tell us in, in, in our regular catechetical format, when obviously people want to, you know, who are new to the church, or as a good refresher for those of us who do normally attend church on time, and when we say on time, meaning... We get there before before Father's coming out uh, with his Beretta on. What is what are the rules as far as you know? What constitutes attending Mass, uh, and what um, and and within the Mass itself, uh, you know, uh, listening to a sermon. How how did how how does that relate to our duties, our duty in attending Mass? No. So before we get into what we're doing in Mass what constitutes mm-hmm. an acceptable, I guess, minimum standard? <laughs> well, not that we should ever be minimalists, but I think that's a very important question to, to deal with. And in that regard, first off, making the difference between a daily Mass and a Sunday Mass. You know, your average daily Mass is obviously not one of obligation, not that we should 
not that we should habitually treat it differently, but it's also understood that if you're rushing from work to get to a daily mass out of devotion, that's laudable, and no matter when you show up, you, you're, you're, you're doing something that is good. And, uh, and if you're in a state of grace, then, you know, be, by all means, even if you show up late to the mass, then you come to communion if you, if you would desire to. Um, that being said, masses of obligation, that is holy days or Sundays, uh, there's a there's a certain requirement on the faithful to attend. The first part of that is that they need to, you're required to attend an entire Mass. So from from beginning to end, you, you're supposed to be there for for that day. And so the, and then within that, there's the core of the Mass that, for the bare minimum of um, of of not committing a mortal sin, of not uh, of fulfilling your obligation for for that Sunday or Holy Day, there is parts that you have to be there for. If you 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 have to be at a mass from the point of from the before the offertory starts, which is either after the creed or after the gospel, depending on if there's a creed or not. Uh, you have to be there from before the priest offers up the host. To the bef- till after his communion. That's just the bare minimum of of succeeding in not committing a mortal sin, not not missing your Sunday mass. So if you miss that, you you've missed Sunday mass, and you got to you got to do it all over again. And um, and it's important to to also note on that that idea of being there and and leaving. There's especially in the modern world today. There's this terrible terrible thing going around where people will get up and leave in the middle of the mass they'll go to the restroom or whatever it may be first off unless you have serious you know medical issue going on there's no reason to use the bathroom at all during during mass you can go to the go before or after um, we were joking last night uh, when I was talking to some of the the priests here at St. Gertrude's uh, about that that whole idea, and, and Father Chicada said, for instance, that he had no idea that his church even had a bathroom until he was a in the seminary and he was working uh, a job as the janitor and had to clean it. He had no idea where it was even located, and I think that's the more <laughs> the the spirit that we need to take. You know, the bathroom is there for if you need it before or after, but not during. That's not it's not time to to take a break or or, or go. Uh, there and if you miss one of the three principal parts of the mass, and those parts are the actual offertory itself, the consecration, and the communion of the priest, then if you miss one of those three principal parts, then then you have not fulfilled your obligation. And so, so if you skip out to the to the bathroom and you miss and you, and you miss the offertory, or you miss the consecration, or or or, or something like that, then you. You better you better attend the next mass if your church has one. Otherwise, you've committed a, a mortal sin, and so it's it's really really important. And that I think a lot of times starts with parents, and parents need to train their kids that they go to the bathroom beforehand, and they need to tell them no when they ask to go during the middle of mass, and that has to be you know the the the, the way it goes. There was one time. It was it's quite amusing actually that um, I had a, heard a story from 
from a, a parishioner who had said that uh, his, his, uh, he was at mass as a, as a real young child, and he had gone to the bathroom and missed one of the three principal parts, and his father recognized that he missed that and sent him with the priest on, in the car for his missionary mass in order that he would fulfill that, that obligation. And so he had to travel with the priest in order to succeed in, in fulfilling his obligation for the Sunday. So, uh, you know, that, that, that cognizance of that and that mentality of how serious that, you know, showing up for that, that, that mass is for those three principal parts has to be in the foremost of our minds. Well, it should be just second nature, but it really, if, you know, if it's something that you, you haven't recognized before or you struggle with it with your children or whatever it may be, you know, start making it you know, a top priority in that regard. And then outside oh, of I was, mortal I, I, sin... I, I, I was going to say maybe maybe they're not going to the bathroom. They're taking a smoke break, Father. But I figured that would probably actually be worse. <laughs> yeah, that'd be even worse. You, you know, if you if you can't not smoke for an hour, <laughs> we have some serious issues to work out here. And uh, you know, that's uh, that's uh, you know, it, or any any kind of break. I, I've even seen before, and it was really you know really sad as kids left the mass and were in. He, eating the donuts, sneaking in and eating the donuts. They had told their parents that they had gone to, uh, this is at a different chapel altogether. It wasn't haunted here, but um, they told their parents they were going to the bathroom and gone in and were starting to eat donuts. And you, you <laughs> have to tell them, you know, get back at Mass. You're, 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 you're missing Mass. And so it's, it, it has to be, you know, it has to be so important for, for the whole entire family going to a Mass that those, those things are absolutely necessary. Um, Outside of the mortal sin area of it is, you know, that obligation is for an entire mass. So if you show up late, um, then and you miss, say, the you know, all the way through the epistle, you haven't committed a, a, a mortal sin. But you, if you, and once again, these things are if you've done it out of your own fault. So if you're just being lazy or you're just making excuses for yourself, and you know that you could have gotten there earlier then this is where it applies if you are driving to church and your your tire explodes and you have to change your flat and that causes you to be late obviously there's no sin in that that's that's a matter of uh you know that that's a, that's just life happening and, and we understand that but um but there's a an area of venial sin in there too because if you if you willfully show up late um to to the mass and you miss part of it uh that is not part of that that core necessary part of the mass if you will the the three principal parts then you've at least committed a venial sin in at that time uh because you have to once again hear an entire mass that's your that's the obligation due to sundays and, and holy days well and i guess the last thing we need to talk about outside of mass father because the sermon doesn't properly belong to the mass it's, it's outside of the mass uh Assuming someone doesn't want to take a sermon break, uh, what what should we be thinking about in terms of the sermon? All right. Well, sermon in that regard, like you said, is not properly so-called part of the mass, but at the same time, is is truly important. One thing you, you know you need to realize is that everybody has a duty 
for to receive religious instruction in their life, They're to learn about the faith, to, le- to learn uh, the things that they need to know, and uh, and for oftentimes, which is in a way it's a sad case, situation, but you know, and also it's part of the fact that people have lives and are busy. Oftentimes, for people, that's the sermon is the only time they're receiving religious instruction, and to to just skip out on a sermon because you don't want to to be part of it, either to take a break in the middle of Mass or if you're at a place where there's multiple priests, like, say, here at St. Gertrude's, and sometimes they might preach before the Mass happens, and you just show up late because you assume the sermon's going to take place uh, beforehand. Uh, you, you know, that's that's truly, a, you know, an impious idea. That's not, that's not at all in following along with the mind of what the Church is there to do. Where The priest provides a sermon for the sake of he doesn't say a sermon, preach a sermon for for himself. He preaches it for for everybody to to hear. And and when you if you know if you're skipping out on the sermon, first off, chances are that you're not studying your 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 faith every single day. So you're missing out on the requirements of receiving religious instruction. And two, you're you're providing a uh, uh, a distraction and and a scandal to 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 others uh, that are there. You're providing a very bad example, and if you're a, a parent of children, you're providing bad example to your and bad habits to your to your kid, which is part of your state in life. And and that way, through those things, you know it can be it can be um, it can be a sinful act in, in that regard as well. But it's you know it's it's part of the whole thing. It's not we don't show up to. Sunday Mass because just simply because we have to, we show up to, to Sunday Mass because we want to gain what we can out of it, which is graces from the sacrament itself, and then also uh, and also the the instruction that we need to apply to our to our faith and to our life uh, every day. I think I think those points are excellent, Father, and and now you've gotten us right up to uh, mass. And I guess I said pre-mass. Uh, obviously, the preparation we're talking about can continue into right before mass as you're you're kneeling or sitting as you're preparing. But now we get to the is it a trick question or not? Which is um, what is the best way to follow mass? If we're let's say we mass has started, fathers come out from the bells rung, fathers coming out. Beretta on, and Mass is going to start. Is there such a thing as a best way to follow Mass? Yes and no, I guess, if you will. Yes, there is a best way to follow Mass for your average, every, average day, every per, everyday person. Uh, the best way to follow Mass, according to St. Pius X, is to follow along in their a hand missile, to follow along with the actual prayers of the Mass itself, because that is uh, that is something that I mean you can't be much more united to the mass than actually to be praying the mass along with with the priest and also you know in that way uniting yourself to that same uh, that same sacrifice if you will um, <clears throat> with that in mind it's to also we can say that it's it's not the only way and it's not to say that by doing a different mode of following the mass you're you're somehow doing something not worthwhile obviously uh for some people it's 
it, they might not read quickly enough and it's more of a distraction to follow in the missile or you know maybe their children or uh, whatever it may be you know there's still many ways to assist in a mass in that regard but uh, but St. Pius X says for the average person attending mass the best way to do it is to read along uh, in a, a hand missile uh, to follow the prayers of the mass uh, some some other important ways to, to follow at Mass are, you know, if you have young children, for instance, you can give them there's either little children's missiles, which don't have the, all the prayers of the Mass, but give uh, little spirits, you know, little spiritual comments on different parts of the Mass as they follow along, so they're following along with the parts and spiritually uniting themselves. Or... Um, you know, some people will pray the rosary during Mass, and that's certainly uh, something that's laudable. Or uh, clergy, for instance, if they're attending a Mass, will either pray the Divine Office or you know, lay people sometimes will pray the Little Office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, people that are serving are obviously following the Mass. People singing in the choir are, are following Mass. And even if you just simply are prayerful and and follow along with the movements and uh, of the priest and follow along closely and spiritually with what's going on all of these things are are ways to to fruitfully attend mass uh in that regard uh, a little comment on on people who either are serving or uh, or singing in the choir sometimes for servers if it's a like a it's a if it's a for instance if it's a big ceremony they might be a little distracted with all the things that they have to do or for a choir at any point really you know singing in the choir can be a little bit distracting um, but it's um, but in that way don't feel like you're you're failing in some way because there are distractions going on. You try to prepare your, your choir book for the next hymn to be sung or whatever it may be. You're not, you, you know, those things are are necessary in that regard. And actually, by doing those things, serving or singing the choir, um, that's the the closest that a, for a layperson, that's the closest that they can be to in, in that way of assisting at the mass. You know, it's a, uh, it's the that old, that old adage. I believe it was from Saint Augustine, if I'm not mistaken, that the, you know. If you by singing you you pray twice you know? so I mean all of those things when you're actually participating in the actual parts of the mass by choir or serving um, uh, are also you know of the utmost and highest of the fruits of the mass as well so um, but I think also to take from that is the general principle the general principle of attending mass is to be there prayerfully, to be there not just bodily, but body and soul. We are composed of body and soul, so we should be there not just physically, but also in a, in a prayerful spirit in that regard um, to try to gain as much profit from, from every Mass we attend as possible. So, so I've, got, I've got two questions here, Father. One is, okay. what, if, what if, remember we talked in the beginning about the, the world invading in our time. So we'd like to say that uh, once we brush them off in our preparation for Mass, they, they'd be gone. But uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, in, in real life, uh, sometimes those can come, come right back in. And, and parents, we haven't forgotten about you. You've got your own special section. So don't think that the single <laughs> man and father are forgetting about children. We will get there. Right now, we're going step by step. So how do you deal, you, you, how do you deal with those distractions? You know, you, you're thinking about the office or something else pops into your mind 
what, you know, what are some good remedies to deal with that right away? Okay. Well, well, first off, I think it's important to realize that distract, you sh- one should never feel bad about distractions coming to them uh, during Mass. In fact, it's, uh, it happens to the, even the most pious of saints during a Mass that distractions will come into their mind and things will happen where they have to continually fight to draw themselves back. And even if they're, that seems like all they're doing throughout that entire Mass is fighting to try to stay focused in some way, um, they should never feel like they've done wrong. That, that fight alone is extraordinarily pleasing to God, as long as he knows we're fighting against it in a prayerful way. We don't want to get angry at our, our distractions because then we just make them worse. It's like pouring gas on a fire. But in that, that spirit of like flies, you know, swatting them away uh, gently and paying as little attention to them as possible, uh, just just trying to refocus back on the mass. That's why um, that's why the the missile is such a wonderful way to participate at mass, for instance. My uh, because it forces you in, in some way to focus because you're reading the, uh, prayers in, in that regard. My grandmother actually had a, a wonderful story about that. She when I told her I was going long ago when I told her I was starting to go to the Latin mass uh, and uh, all of that. She uh, she told me that. About how much she she had missed the, the Latin Mass because she remembers when she was a girl she had her Saint Joseph's Missal and she was always so focused on the Mass because she was reading out of her Missal and then when the the Novus Ordo came along and they didn't have to use a Missal anymore or anything like that she said that she was then she's looking at Susie's hair and she's looking out the window at the birds and so much more distracted and so it's true those little things like the Missal bring us back to focusing otherwise. Um, even just focusing back on what the priest is doing, or or uh, or or what's going on at the mass, or looking at a, a statue of a saint and, and praying to that saint, and you know, any way to to just bring us back to a spiritual mode uh, as best we can is 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 constantly winning that battle, and uh, and oftentimes because it requires sacrifice of us, it's uh, it's it's very pleasing to God, even more so than if we were to be undistracted during a mass and uh, because we actually had to fight for it so well and father i wanted to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit today and and ask uh you know people assume that father doesn't get distracted at mass and that's part of the (laughs) part of tying back to the uh the sermon i remember a priest telling me that uh he was looking out during his sermon and he felt like he was really connecting with with someone and he noticed you know she uh at a moment where he thought, you know, she was really connecting with her and she was, she was getting what he was saying, you know, she, he noticed that she raised up her rosary beads to make sure she was counting correctly. <laughs> so <laughs> he thought, oh, she wasn't listening to me. She was just, she was just really into, into her rosary. So obviously, you know, tying back to what we were saying about there's, there's no correct way to, to follow the Mass, that being said, uh, when when the sermon's going on, that's probably not a time to be saying the rosary, and that might distract Father if he's trying to make a point. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's true. I mean, while I would certainly rather someone there praying the rosary rather than getting up to take a smoke break or go to the bathroom, um, at the same time, once again, the sermon's there for you to hear. Now, if you're someone who shows up you know, out of devotion to like two masses on a Sunday, and you've already heard the sermon one time, then that's a wonderful thing to sit in your place to pray the rosary, especially pray for the priest to uh, to, to to 
to preach well and that the people absorb what he's what he's talking about and put take it to heart. But uh, but you know, for the average person who shows up to the one Sunday mass, um, you know, try try to focus on a, on a sermon. But you did raise a you know interesting point. You said taking back that veil. Yes, priests priests too. Um, you know, fight against distraction. Um, you know, it, I think it's oftentimes a little easier for us because we're so focused often on what we're doing, but uh, it's you know we we too are are humans and we have to push thoughts away that come to us the same as anybody else. That uh, you know, like you said, that priest in that sermon thinking, "Oh, I'm really reaching so and so," and then realizing that she was praying a rosary. Well, that's a distraction thought right there that he has to push out of his mind and continue on with the sermon and not let the fact that she's paying no attention to him uh, get him down or distract him and throw him off off track or anything so well and there father i was addressing distractions from adults um now i want to address distractions from people who have not yet reached the age of reason and Uh that's the the screaming child who doesn't know that his or her ear piercing shrieks are daggers into father's brain that are forcing him to focus on trying to make sure he's delivering a sermon correctly and that brings us of course (laughs) to children, children's conduct, uh, cry room, baby room, etc. So I guess why don't, we, why don't we start with, should we have a cry room? Did those exist before Vatican II? How are, you know, is the expectation that, that parents are supposed to miss mass if, if their child is colicky or maybe can't stay quiet? How, do, you know, how does the good of the many outweigh the good of the one? All right. All right. Well, very well. The the first part of it is is that that parents parents need to realize that everybody's child, if it's their own, is the worst child in the entire church. That's a mindset that parents, I think, more often than not, have is that their their child makes the, the like a tiny noise, and all of a sudden they're they're the biggest distraction ever to come down the, the pike, and that's. You know, take heart, parents. That's not true. And, and when we're offering the mass, in little noises that little babies make, you know, oftentimes go unnoticed by us, or we're pretty good at pushing them out. Um, not being not that. Now that being said, you know, if your child really does start to, to cry or to make a fuss or to make a lot of noise, uh, then uh, it is an act of charity towards towards those around us. Uh, towards those around you, I should say, that, that you take the, the child out to the, to the four-year or to uh, if there's a designated crying room. And it is something that existed before, um, before Vatican II, for sure. It's, uh, <clears throat> most, uh, if you go into most of the, the big churches, what, what do you first walk into is at least a four-year, and which often had glass windows out into the church. So the you know, mom could be behind glass, if you will, but still being able to see what was what was going on and then uh, and then later on a little bit still before Vatican II some churches would even build a separate room that was I guess in a way more soundproofed or or install speakers in there or whatever it may be that would allow the, the parents to still once again uh, know what was going on at the mass but uh, but to be able to take their child out and and let them calm back down again while uh, you know, while not <coughs> screaming into the lady's ear next to them. <laughs> um, so, but with that in mind, is that idea of first off for the parents, if you do have to take your child out, uh, first off, don't 
don't feel bad about it. Uh, it's just part of part of the territory of being a, a mom or a dad. But uh, but you should still try your best to do whatever you can to uh, to be spiritually united to the mass. So uh, you know if if you're able to to for instance to kneel, then then great. If you're able to uh, uh, to still listen to what's going on or still ha- have a view towards the altar and fo- focus as much as you can on that, then wonderful. If your child is really so upset and it seems like all you're trying to do is to calm them down and you really don't not feeling like you're focused at all, you know, then you still don't don't lose heart in that regard either. It's you you haven't done anything wrong. You still have attended mass, and and sometimes the the only prayer that the that the mother or father who takes the child out gets to offer up is the is simply offering up her his or her own sacrifice and suffering <laughs> to God in a, in a way that. Uh, that is there, and you know sometimes those those days certainly happen, and uh, it it's all part of the 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 part of their state in life. It's all part of their vocation. Uh, babies cry. That's just what happens, and uh, you can't plan it all the time. And so you just do the best you can with it. So it's that that recognition that um, that you are doing something charitable for those. Uh, especially the people attending mass in church, if the baby really gets upset and taking them out, um, you, oftentimes it's best if parents sit towards the back so they're not walking past 15 people uh, trying to get out. But uh, you know, uh, it's it, it, you're you're certainly just doing what you know what you have to do as a, as a parent, and that's fine. Um, with that in mind, the other side of it is don't just plant yourself out in the crying room. Um, you know, if the baby cry, calms down and this is quiet again, you, you don't have, you don't stay out in the crying you know the crying room. Come back in, it's fine. That's why we like we say you know sit towards the back. You'll be you'll be just fine, and uh, you won't provide any distraction. And if the baby starts crying again, then get up and quietly and, and walk out and, and take care of it again. It's 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 you know all part of of the, of that how it works. Now we say. During mass, it's like I said. If the baby starts crying, or, you know, and it's really becoming a distraction, take them out. Um, even more so for the sermon, I would say, though, um, if you can get away with staying in there for a little bit with the baby crying during mass, people are usually focused on their prayers or what's going on in mass, and a little bit of noise is not much to distract people um, during mass. But if the baby really starts to get going at all during a sermon, that's really important that you walk up because then the priest's focus is no longer on just offering a sacrifice of the Mass, which you can push out, or, and people's focus is not on what's going on there. It's it's actually, you know, uh, instruction coming out towards the people. You know, instead of being directed towards God, it's now directed towards the people, and they have to be able to pay attention and, and focus on a sermon. And so, uh, you know, if there's a kind of more borderline situation, when it comes to a sermon, you know, err on the side of going out in that that regard because uh, it's 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 more difficult for a priest to overcome a crying baby, and then it does nobody any good if they can't hear the words coming out of the priest's mouth because all they hear is little, you know, little baby of God, you know, crying and and screaming in the back. So uh, so I think you know it's more diligence to go out into the cry room, especially during this the sermon for for that. So. I, I guess this was particularly on my mind, Father, this last uh, this last Sunday, and most of most of the congregation 
uh, at the mass I uh, attend don't, don't speak English, so I do, I'm not outing anybody on, on our English-speaking show by saying that um, they were, there were some particularly loud children at, at Kendallmas uh, this last Sunday, and it was a real struggle for me as well because I'm, I'm trying to focus, and so I know if it was a struggle for me, it was a struggle for at least one or two other people. So at what point... Do you, what point does a mother or father, you could say, call it and say, all right, I, this child is a particular challenge. I'm going to have, you know, maybe I alternate uh, with, with a spouse or I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go to mass. I'm maybe going to watch the St. Gertrude's mass cam so I can still attend, ma- attend mass in a spiritual way. Obviously, it doesn't fulfill the obligation in a normal sense. But are you dispensed from your obligation if you, if you have a child that, that – simply will create a real ruckus in church, where, where do you draw that line? Well, I think it's important that, um, I think generally speaking, that, that a child, uh, a parent going to Mass is, um, you know, is uh, really a, a must, you know, in, in, in that regard. It's, even if that means that they spend the entire Mass out in the cry room, that's better than, 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 than staying home. And I think people also have a level of understanding that, you know, sometimes children get fussy and there's no way to really predict that or to plan on that. Um, because training a child to, to be able to attend Mass actually can happen at a very early age if, if the parents are, are diligent about it to, to keep them, you know, somewhat quiet and things like that. Um, so that's why also it's important that a parent goes back into the Mass at the quiet that the child quiets down because, you know, it allows it allows them to actually be in mass and and to realize that no, I have to, you know, even though they're very young, to um, to be able to uh, to attend that mass. So that you know, that, I think that's really quite important. If you have a place that has multiple masses and you have an infant child and it's and that is oftentimes very fussy, then then yeah, maybe it's possible to to alternate, and that's okay too. Um, but uh, but generally speaking, I think you know mothers shouldn't shouldn't feel like they have to miss mass because their child is, uh, tends to cry a bit or, or anything like that. Um, now that being said, um, there are times when a mother would would be dispensed from that obligation legitimately, especially you know um, you know for instance uh, if they are actually still recovering from having given birth to the child, or uh, if the child is in some way sick. Uh, so if you know if a child has an ear infection and you know that they're just they're just really you know, not doing very well health-wise, and they're going to be crying the entire time because of an ear infection or, um, or something like that. Then, then that's a totally different situation, and and they can stay home, um, and 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 you you know still keep the the Sunday holy, and like you said, you know, go on the mass cam or whatever it, it may be. And I think, and also, uh, you know, I guess in the winter that we're having here in the United States, it's, it, you know, it's something to point out that if it's legitimately, I mean, really, really cold where a child could get sick just from being taken outside because they're like an infant or something like that, um, then I think that's also something that needs to be taken into account. But, you know, just because it's, you know, just because it's around freezing doesn't mean that you don't go to mass. But if it's something where we've been having, you know, in some of the places like Milwaukee, for instance, you know, you might have a day where it's minus 20. Um, obviously, that's a whole different 
camp to be in for cold, and, and you have to make sure that you stop your child stays safe in that regard. So I think those are uh, – but I think the, the general rule is that, uh, you know, even though it might be um, a struggle for the, for the mother or father or, and it might be uh, – you, know, you might feel like everybody's always distracted, I think the general rule of thumb is to, to still show up because it's good for you, it's good for the child, and, um, and you know, oftentimes in, in a mother or father's head that the, the, the quote-unquote problem or situation is, is much bigger than it actually is. You know, it might be a momentary distraction for somebody at the church, but, uh, but overall, it, you know, as long as you care to take the child out into the cry room or the foyer or whatever it may be, then generally speaking, it's, it's really not as big of a deal as you think it is to everybody else there. It's so funny, Father, when you said that, that, you know, I, having never been a parent, I've never had that thought that, you know, my child is the worst, but it reminds me of, you know, those times when you were younger and your parent would do something that, that you as an enlightened teenager thought was just so gauche. And you're like, oh, my parent's <laughs> the most ignorant parent ever. You know, uh, the sort of rever- the, the reversal of that. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to Pastoralia on the Restoration Radio Network, the voice you were just hearing is or the and the laugh that you were just hearing was from Father Stephen McKenna. Um, I'm Stephen Heiner, and today we are discussing the the mass, specifically the etiquette and the comportment that one should have not only during, but uh, before and after. Um, as a reminder, Postralia is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved. Any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission, however, can usually be very easily obtained by writing to us at mail at truerestoration.org. Father, I talked about the people who have reached the age of reason. Now I want to talk, I hadn't reached the age of reason. Now I want to talk about the people who have reached the age of reason, but are not yet parents. So I'm speaking about our younger children or adolescents, maybe between 7 and, and 15, because hopefully by the time you're reaching your teenage years, there's a little bit more common sense driving your actions, and it, isn't, uh, it doesn't need to be dictated by your parents. One of the things that I really was edified by seeing the other day um, at, at Mass was an older woman at our chapel um, had a little children's hand missile. Of course, you know, what is she going to do with a little hand missile? She's, you know, 80-something. Well, she sees this little kid fiddling around, and this is something that the French would do. She comes over uh, because it's, it's sort of like it takes a village. You know, the French have no problem coming up and correcting your child. If, 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 if. So it, come, it comes up um, and hands this little hand missile to the, the kid and then, like, sort of touches his cheek and says, you know, here, do this. And, and to be fair, the kid kind of quieted down after a while. So I think that that, might, that kid might have still been a little younger than seven but what's acceptable? There are things I, I, I see them in trad chapels. Uh, I'm a little horrified whenever I do, but I see sometimes Cheerios. I see other things that are used to pacify children, and I'm worried that it makes it makes it seem as though they're not they're simply going to an event at which they're expected to behave. But that and so you're you're using devices that you would use like if we were going to a I don't know, a classical music concert, or if we were going to some lecture and you had to bring your children with you, you'd bring these little accoutrements to help them, you know, be quiet. But I feel that there has to be some sort of line in the sand, like there's no bringing Cheerios, you know, to mass, you know, to fight. or am I being a rigorous father? Because, you know, I, I've been called many things. Uh, my latest new proud title is Neo-Ultramontanist. 
I'm very happy to be called a neo-ultramontanist. Uh, but uh, <laughs> if I'm a rigorist here, Father, you know, correct me. But is it out of order to be bringing food to Mass? Well, first off, it's very clear that you're definitely in France if you're being called a neo-altermontanist. So that's uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's incredible. But uh, no, I I really don't think you're being too rigorous in that. You know, certainly we, you know, things like that little prayer book or little religious picture book. I mean, there's all sorts of things, especially now, that are that are there for for parents to use to kind of keep their children occupied but in a somewhat spiritual sense now if it's truly a baby and you give them pacifier or um you know uh some noiseless little doll or something like that then that's you know that's one thing if it's a truly a, a, an infant that we're that we're dealing with but as soon as a, a child is able to do even the, the little bit of um of you know somewhat understanding and i think parents also need to realize that that happens earlier than than they give them credit for you know they'll they they'll when they and to to put it into perspective they'll parents will correct their kids for doing something wrong at home because they they understand that they they understand little things but they don't think to give them religious things when they're at church because they think that they're too young so you have to realize that even though your child might only be one years old, they're still able to, you know, one or two years old, they still are able to at least take in pictures of, of holy things or, you know, keep themselves occupied by little picture, you know, Catholic picture books or whatever it may be, rather than just trying to shove food and, uh, and you know, down their throat and put sh- shiny objects like a cell phone or keys or something in front of their face or w- whatever it may be. No, we should we should be realizing that that um, that there should be a training going on even from a very early age of that child to so that they can build up that good habit of separating what goes on in church and what goes on in the rest of the world. Uh, like you said, it's it's one thing if you went to a, a, a symphony and you gave them Cheerios, nobody's going to take offense to that. But uh, but at the same time, you, you place you know the holy sacrifice of the mass does not seem to be the place to be opening up the bag of of, of goodies for the for the child just to to keep them quiet. Quiet is not the the only objective of of that. It's also a training towards mass and also a a building up of them in in regards to understanding parts of, of of the spiritual world in their lives, even if it be small things. And to, like I said before, we always have that, that cry room or that foyer in most places that they can they can go to if they, they have to. And, um, you know, I think it's, I, you know, without uh, delving in too deep as to how each individual parent handles each situation or each child, I think it's important that they realize once the child is starting to grasp a little bit of uh, what's going on around them, if they have to go out to the, the, the cry room, you know, it shouldn't be just simply, oh, i got to go out to the cry room. It should be go out to the cry room and make it a point to, of correction for them that they that we're not supposed to be out here. You're bigger now. You should be able to stay quiet and ask. That's where Jesus is. That's where God is, and we need to uh, and we need to be respectful and prayerful in that way. And um, you know, and 
I think parents can use their best judgment as to what level of, of correction is, is appropriate. But um, but at the same time, you, you know, as they're getting a little bit older, then it should be one of correction to go out there. This is not where we're supposed to be. So, no, I, I, I'm with you. Maybe I'm a uh, neo-altermontanist, but uh, but I don't I don't believe so. I think it's balance. Well, I think, well t- you know, come on you know, in, Father, that there's plenty of room. <laughs> Excellent. Well, well, it's. Uh, I think. I think it's. Um, I think it's important that uh, that they start young, and I think by even in those early early years, uh, by building up those good habits and those good the good spiritual foundation, it's going to carry over into their later years, and it's not going to be as big of a fight when they're ten to to get them to pay attention at mass if they've been doing so since they were two. So. Now, Father, we talked about the, the best ways for an adult to follow Mass. We talked about the Missal. We talked about prayer. We talked about the Rosary. Have you found that there's a, a sort of best practice for that transition? Let's say I'm 8 to 14. I, I don't have behavior problems anymore. I don't need Cheerios. I'm not crying. What, what is the best way for them to follow Mass? Uh, we mentioned the children's Missal. Uh, can, can they be entrusted to say the Rosary? What 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 what's something that works? Oh, for sure. I I think anything you know, children's missile, rosary, uh, or even just following along if it if need be. But uh, at if you're above the age of reason, you're really starting to get into an area where you can do more and more. Uh, for instance, oftentimes for us, that's for boys. That is the the point where they can start serving you know they can if they've received first holy communion then they can start uh, and they've been studying their latin responses they can start serving mass at that point so if you can serve mass at seven you can certainly focus during mass you can certainly pray prayers you can have prayer books uh, child's missiles rosaries whatever it may be um you know, those things can all follow. Uh, even in our school choir here, uh, the the kids start singing in the choir uh, not much after seven, you know. So it's uh, the all of those things, and then it comes back once again to that formation. You know, if, it, if it's you're seven years old and now all of a sudden I'm trying to get you to start being prayerful at Mass, then you're in for a real fight. But if you've been doing it since they were one or two years old to get them to be quiet and prayerful at Mass, then, you, you know, I think it's just the next step along the way of uh, uh, in their, their spiritual training. It's not as big of a deal. Um, so it's, uh, you know, for for, for parents realizing that um, that that that's why, in addition to many other reasons, you know, that's why you know that training early in their lives is, is so important because uh, they can do, you know, um, in, in the, I think in a spiritual sense uh, that the children are able to do uh, more than adults oftentimes give credit for, uh, and if you give them an inch to be able to wiggle out of uh, doing the things they can do, then then they're going to take it, you know. Uh, so we have to we have to just uh, be very diligent in that. Still Father, there, you're saying, Yes, I, I'm here. Sorry, Father. Uh, I was saying, you, you, are you saying that kids take advantage of situations? Well, I didn't as a child, <laughs> but I'm sure other children have. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what age I was when I when I tried the old uh, 
you know, dad said, no, let me ask mom. And I, I have to, I have to commend my parents, even though I was the youngest, uh, oldest. So I was their first child. Um, they had it, they've already coordinated uh, long ahead of time that that, that wasn't going to work with them, that there was a, mm-hmm. there was a, sol- there was a solid threat. So I, I appreciate it. My parents didn't let me uh, really get away with that. So yeah, parents oftentimes have the upper hand because, uh, and they, they need to realize that, and maybe kids need to realize that a little bit too. Kids oftentimes think that their parents are as dumb as they are, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, the, the, the tricks that the kids pull are usually not anything new. It's usually something that the parents have already done themselves anyway. So, uh, so just, you know, look for the things that you did as a child, and uh, I'm sure they'll be coming out of your child's mouth uh, sooner rather than later. <laughs> Uh, fair enough. So as, as speaking of wriggling out of things, so I want to make sure we're clear. I want to get into the legitimate reasons for missing mass. Uh, but to clarify, the exceptions you noted specifically before we got in was mothers who are recovering from childbirth, if there is a sick child or there is a weather issue, you know, the, the roads are closed, it's, it's, it's so cold, you can't get there. And, and I have to say this, this doesn't exempt father. Father's got to drive through a blizzard to get to you. So maybe you might want to think about getting, obviously keep in mind being safe, but uh, you know, if the postal service can get through wind, sleet and snow, uh, there's no reason that you can't. Uh, that's just my rigorous ultramontanist uh, neo-Pelagian self-talking there, father. But what are, <laughs> what are some legitimate reasons for missing mass? All right. Well, I think I'll just kind of expand on that weather issue a bit. You know, people, Especially with the winter time, often uh, tend to to be rather lenient. Not everybody, obviously, but some people uh, tend to be rather lenient as to well, it's snowing or uh, weather's inclement. That I just you know, God understands, I won't show up to mass. Well, if it's legitimate that it's really really bad weather and you can't make it there, then yes, God will understand that. He wants you to be safe. He doesn't want you to be reckless in any kind of way. But um, at the same time, we have to have a mindset that mass should be the last thing on our list that we cancel for that day uh, rather than the first thing. You know, if, you, if you cancel mass and then you are going out to the store later on to do some grocery shopping or you're going to see a movie or, you're, uh, or a restaurant or you're going to a friend's house to, to watch a, a ball game or something like that, you probably erred in your judgment as to whether or not to show up to mass that day, and uh, and you know it's you know, if you can get out to do other things, then you you should have been able to make it to mass. Um, that you know, but once again, you know, like I said, sometimes weather is really bad, and we understand that uh, you know people can't do the impossible or the dangerous to. To, to, to get there, and so you know, use your own judgment. Don't don't cancel mass because the the forecast the day before told you it was going to be uh, going to be bad, and uh, and then you wake up and realize it's it's not really snowing all that hard, but you've already canceled mass in your own mind, and so the, therefore it's done. It's uh, you know we should we should try to make it as uh, you know at all costs, and if it's impossible, then or really dangerous or something, then that's a whole different situation um, <clears throat> another uh, uh, another point that would be a legitimate excuse for not attending mass is illness on the part of um, the person attending so if you're sick but legitimately sick then yes God doesn't need you 
to 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 kill yourself to try to get to mass. But um, I think we also need to realize what does it mean to be sick. And when people ask me this, actually, quite often, you know, how do I know that I'm sick enough to not go to mass? And so I've, you know, my general rule of thumb for people is is if you would show up for work or for school, then you should show up for mass. If you would skip work or school, then then you're probably sick enough to skip mass too. You know, you don't have to uh, be coming in and you know giving people some nasty flu because you know you wanted to be a superhero to uh, of, of virtue. Um, but uh, it's but at the same time, I, I think I think that's a, a good rule of thumb is that if you you know would I go to other places? And if it's yes, then I should be at mass. If it's no, then uh, you know like I wouldn't leave my bed for anything uh then uh then then stay home you know that's that's fine you know, and do the best you can so uh so illness is one and like you said illness of children not just infant children either but uh you know if um if a, a child is sick that's say 10 you know they can't maybe stay home alone yet but they but they're too sick to go then obviously a parent has to stay with them um but if a parent stays home with the children doesn't mean that the whole the whole crew has to stay home either. Just because one child's sick doesn't mean, you know, mom, dad, and, you know, all his siblings have to stay home as well. It's, you know, the sick one, and if someone needs to take care of them, one other person. So um, that covers, I think, illness. Um, another reason for, that would be a legitimate reason for missing mass would be uh, distance. Uh, if you live uh, an extraordinary distance away from mass, and it's a hardship to get to it. Now, Let's probably clarify what a, a legitimate distance actually is. Um, and, and it's funny talking with Bishop Dolan last night uh, and some of the other priests here. It was uh, he brought up a one that would really kind of put it in perspective to me. There's a Father Baden uh, who was actually of this area here. He was the first priest ordained in the United States. Um, <clears throat> And he was right here in uh, Bardstown, Kentucky, not too, too far from here. And uh, his rule of thumb for people back then of, uh, the, of not showing up for Mass was if they were beyond five miles for walking or ten miles for horseback. So uh, now think of what it takes and how much of a sacrifice it takes to walk five miles. That's, that's quite a distance. Uh, you know, that's... Uh, that's uh, more than most of us would walk in a day uh, unless you're, you know, going to the gym or something like that. And so five miles is, is quite a ways and takes quite a while to do. And so when you try to think of, okay, what, what about in our time? I don't walk to church. I drive to church. Well, you know, I, I think a, a good safe bet is if you live over an hour away, then I would say then, um, then your obligation to get there uh, is not there. That's not to say that you know if you if you can make it and you you want to make it, then you, you shouldn't come. That no, you sh- you know uh, you, you know we should do all we can to get to pass. But uh, but if you're over an hour away and it's a and it's really a hardship or you know your money's tight or something like that, then uh, and you can't make it every week, then then that's then that's understandable and fine, and and certainly that would be something that you wouldn't be sinning by by uh, by missing mass in in that type of situation. Um, 
Well, and I, I, you know, to put it in a modern and an ancient perspective, I was thinking as you were talking about that distance that a lot of medieval cities, uh, you can you can basically walk across them in 20 minutes. That that was sort of the sustainable rule of thumb in Toledo, outside of Madrid. I remember it adheres to that rule. You can walk from one side of Toledo to the other in about 20 minutes. So my thought is, you you probably have if you put Father Baden's rule in place, it'd be walking from one side of Toledo to another and another. So you'd be crossing it three times. That that's quite quite a bit of distance. Or I was going to say five miles. That's a average day in Paris <laughs> for those of us uh, without a car. So I mean, Sunday right. shouldn't be any different. Uh, so illness, Father, <laughs> distance. Uh, what else? Uh, possibly, uh, another one would be um, f- financial hardship. Uh, it's not something that we're we're insensitive to, or something that uh, we don't think uh, we think that doesn't exist today. But it, it certainly does exist. Uh, is, is some people are are hard off financially, and uh, and sometimes they can't afford to 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 drive to church or uh, every day or every Sunday. You know, it's sometimes they they have to. They're living from day to day, just trying to put a meal on the table and uh, to spend you know fifteen twenty dollars in gas would actually be a real hardship for them. And and that's understandable. That's something that um, uh, that certainly happens. Um, what I do want to make a distinction of is. Um, is a difference between not being able to buy gas and not being able to um, uh, to to put money into the offertory basket. Say, you know, you might be poor, and it might be uh, just within your means to dr- to drive to the church and back again, and it doesn't really leave you much left over to make as an offertory. But don't let that stop you from from coming because that is something that is you know that god would much rather you get to church than to than not to so um so if you're able to make it uh then come but if if you're not because you're hard, that hard off financially then uh you know maybe every other week is good for you or maybe uh uh or whenever you can or whatever it, it may be or maybe it's truly not at all but uh but in those cases, you know, certainly be in touch with your priest because um, perhaps um, they can do something in re- regards to, to the sacraments and, and, and for you outside of that. So, Right, and in the secular realm, Father, just on our part, I, I think I can speak for the ownership group here at True Restoration that if that's a challenge for you, feel free to send us an email and we'll see if we can't maybe send you a gas card or two um, to get you to Mass a little sooner. We, we, don't, we don't want people to miss out on Mass because of money. So if that's something we can help with, and we can't make a general pledge to the whole world, uh, obviously, but if, if you're listening to this and, and that's something, send us an email to mail at truerestoration.org, and we'll see what we can, we can do to help. Um, right. and, and talk and, with your, your priest as well. Uh, sorry, Stephen, but talk with your priest as well, because oftentimes, I mean, most traditional chapels don't have much in the way of surplus, but uh, I know most uh, chapels uh, do have like a you know a Saint Anthony's box or something where it's people actually will give donations to the poor or maybe the priest does have a little bit of money to to be able to, to help out in that situation uh, you know or or maybe somebody in the parish does that the priest knows of you know talk with your priest uh, as well because you know they might be able to, to to help in some way or even if it's something as simple as uh, maybe someone lives in the area near you and you can hop in the car with them 
whatever it may be. So uh, always talk to you with your priest in that regard because sometimes there's solutions to those types of, of issues. All right. All right, Father. I know you've already addressed the weather issue, so uh, I think the only thing to add on to that is something you mentioned, which is, you know, uh, make sure that church is the last thing canceled, not the first thing canceled, right? You're like, oh, it snowed out. I guess that means uh, we're sleeping in, you know, but uh, we're, going over, we're going over to, you know, Aunt Susie's for a barbecue afterwards. Uh, well, I don't, I don't really know if that's going to work, uh, apart from the fact that a barbecue might be hard to do in the snow. But, uh, right. So apart from weather, what happens when the weather's really good? Like, let's say it's a vacation, Father. <laughs> what about that? Uh, all right, that you, you're touching on one of possibly one of the, the the grandest of misunderstandings for dispensation from from mass. Um, you know, people oftentimes think that that traveling uh, in and of itself will give them a dispensation automatically from attending mass, and that's so far from the truth, you know, you don't get to vacation from, from God. That's, uh, <laughs> you know, God doesn't take a, a week off. You don't get to uh, take a week off from him. So it's, uh, you know, that, and that should really not be our, our, our thoughts at all. Now, if, for instance, your vacation takes you somewhere that is not near Mass, then that's a, a different situation altogether. So, you know, say if you had family up in, uh, you know, the northern territories of Canada or something, uh, and you were going up to visit them for a week and a half, and there's no mass around, well, then obviously now it's impossible and you, and you cannot get there. Uh, so that's, that's uh, now you're, that would be a dispensation to, in that regard to not show up for mass. But if you were to take a vacation and you were to come and visit Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, and you know that St. Gertrude's is down the street from from you, uh, then you're not, just because you're on vacation does not mean that you don't have to show up to church because, uh, when there's one, when there's mass readily available for you. Um, and also with that, I think it's a good point to make in, in regards to any type of uh, situation where it's a legitimate excuse for missing mass is that, you know, all you're, uh, all you're excused from is the actual attendance of Mass. You're not excused from the commandment of God himself. You, you know, you're not excused from the, the uh, you know, of keeping his, his day holy. And so uh, if you can't make it to Mass, then you, you need to make sure that you're at least saying your prayers and you're at least, you know, making sure you're saying your rosary and, uh, you know, try to say your Mass prayers along as well and, um, if you're able to get to the Internet, maybe attend on Mass on the Mass Cam or whatever it may be, the best you can do to keep that day holy, you know, avoid all unnecessary servile work and, and unnecessary shopping and things like that. So um, it's just because you're in a place that you can't get to Mass doesn't mean uh, that that you just, it's, well, okay, Sunday just becomes another day and it's a freebie day for me to to do whatever the heck I want to, and that's that's not the case. You know, you just you just in a situation where it's impossible to get to the actual sacrifice on the mass, but you should uh, you still keep our Lord's day holy and unite ourselves as closely as possible. And I think that kind of also goes into one other area that um, because it's a combination of the two that people need to to realize is that um, you know entertainment should not be your reason 
for for missing mass. That's not a legitimate reason. So you, you uh, live in a place and there's a mass at ten o'clock in the morning every Sunday, and but this weekend someone had an extra ticket to a football game or something. Uh, doesn't mean you can just skip mass because you want to go to the football game uh, and it you know the the times don't line up right for you. Yeah, that's not a, a, a justifying reason. You have to put God before before anything else, and uh, and that means you know going to to a game or you know just because you have morning tea time does not mean that uh, that God understands <laughs> golf is, is that important. So. <laughs> So, um, so um, it's you know, don't don't excuse yourself just because something fun is happening that you uh, that you want to be part of. Father, can I go a little deeper with the vacation question uh, again? Sure. I think sure. You, I think you addressed some important points, and and for those who are traveling, if you don't know, on sgg.org, there's a list of uh, parishes uh, that you can attend that are non-unicum masses, uh, and masses in which a heretic is not named as the head of the Catholic Church. Um, and obviously at cmri.org, they also have a list of uh, non-unicum masses. So, I, Father, can, can I say, I, obviously I don't want to talk about sins because I'm, I'm not a cleric, but can we say that there is at least, well, I'll let you say it, how about that? Is there an obligation okay. in doing vacation planning to take a look at that list and 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 maybe i don't want to say uh, in, incorporate ask father for input into the family vacation in, in that sense i think it's i think it's more of a common sense type of uh, of point you know of of making sure in your life that you're trying to put god first as much as you can in all things and making like i said before at the beginning of the show mass not something that we just have to do and look for any excuse to get out of it, but actually something that we want to do, make it part of our lives, realize that we're going not just to be, you know, for some rule that I'm just trying to check off my box. You know, I, you know, I showed up to Mass, I cooked a dinner, I, you know, uh, packed my bag. It's not just a list and, and a list of many things to do in a day. It's, um, it, it's something that we should try to plan around, you know, try to, to, to make sure that that's the most important thing. Now, it, it can't be succeeded in all the time. Um, you might, you might have really desire to go to, to Rome on a vacation because there's so many, you know, holy sites to see in such a beautiful place, and there's mass offered there every other weekend in the city of Rome, and you happen to show up on that off weekend. Well, you know, that's not... Impious, you know that, that was the only weekend you could go, and a week you could go, and that just happened to be that way. But if it's something where you're like, well, I could go to to vacation in Tampa, Florida, or uh, and go to near, you know one of the beaches near there, or I could go to vacation in uh, you know the the southern part of Texas and go to the beach there, one of which is close to the mass. And you know, at Tampa, for instance, near the seminary, and one of which is not close to the mass. Well, then the choice should be obvious to, to anybody at that point. I should choose the one which is closer to to the sacrament, so I can get there. But uh, I do think I do think uh, say I mean uh, Rome Rome's 
uh, I think the uh, Institute of Our Lady of Good Counsel might have a class there quite regularly, but um, as I, I can comment today that I'm in maybe one of the most Catholic cities outside of Rome I've ever been to in my life. I'm in Prague. And you, I mean, uh, back, back in the day, there was no shortage of churches. <laughs> there were churches everywhere. You, you, turn, you turn left, you go down the street, there's a church. You turn right, there's a church. There's statues. There are kings and saints watching you in every corner of this city. You know, there may not, there may not have been electronic surveillance back in the day, Father, but there was definitely saintly surveillance. And, uh, you know, I think that that, that, was, that was probably a good thing. But I, I, think, I think, you know, as a layperson, you know, it's important to, to consult with clergy and, and, and maybe ask them for a resource. I didn't know, even among uh, the, the St. Gertrude's clergy, they did not know that there was a regular mass established in Paris before I got here, you know, so sometimes information, even among the clergy, is not uh, extremely well distributed. So, but sometimes a priest does know something you don't know. So you might think, Father, I couldn't find any masses there. He says, Oh, I know so. I know Father so and so. He says mass there on, on such and such a date. And then maybe you can make your vacation work to when you know there's going to be a priest there because. I actually have to think that that makes your vacation all, not only do you get to go see some beautiful things and do what vacation is supposed to do, which is supposed to get you away from work, recharge your batteries. In my case, I'm a, I'm a you know, church maniac. I love going to see uh, Catholic churches. You know, that's how I you know, recharge my batteries. That um, the, you get to see those wonderful things and you still get to, have, you still get to go to Mass. It's in our days because uh, there's so few true masses anymore, but it can be done. I don't think it's impossible. I think it can be done. Absolutely. I, I agree. And, and it certainly you have a better chance of, of your priest knowing some mass that's, uh, that's offered in some place than just, you know, your everyday um, other, you know, lay person because just the circles that, uh, you know, the circles that we run in, I guess, you know, we, we might meet up with a, a independent priest one day and he says, oh, yeah, but I say, you know, a, a missionary mass every other week in such and such a city. And you didn't know about it, but you try to remember it just in case someone happens to be there. Uh, so, you know, oftentimes we have a not a perfect knowledge of where mass is, but it's certainly a, a, an increased knowledge of where there are masses that you can attend to. For those of you who are just joining us, uh, you are listening to Pastoralia, Episode 2 on the Restoration Radio Network. That was Father Stephen McKenna. I'm Stephen Heiner. Today we're discussing Mass, specifically comportment and etiquette at Mass. Fathers walked us through preparation before Mass. We, we called it pre-Mass. I guess it's pre-Massing. Um, we talked about the best ways to follow Mass. We've talked about children, cry rooms. We've also been talking about reasons for missing Mass and uh, sports or a Bengals game uh, is not, or a Packers game for those who live in Wisconsin for which the Green Bay Packers are actually a religion. Uh, those, are, those are not uh, reasons. Those are not, I'm sorry, I, I offended all our Wisconsin listeners with just that statement there, Father. Um, so now I want to talk about nuts and bolts, and, you know, part of that is, uh, you know, when, it, ask Father, when is the proper time to kneel for the Sanctus? You know, there's this old lady whose knee hits the ground the minute that bell rings. And then there's somebody else. They, they wait until the Sanctus is finished. And I don't know. And am I sinning? And I suppose let's start with that, Father. 
what are the rubrics for low mass, and, and are we sinning when we're not kneeling as soon as that bell rings? <laughs> well, no, it, you wouldn't be sinning, but you, you should follow, generally speaking, rubrics for attending mass is kind of tricky because there are a lot of different customs at different places. And, uh, and if you show up someplace and, for instance, um, you know, if you show up and there's a, a strange custom that does not happen in most places, uh, but it happens there, then you should just kind of follow along with what the people are doing, as long as it's not anything you know, overtly impious. You know, so, for instance, uh, there was one chapel that I was at that uh, that during a low mass they would sit during the epistle, and that's not something that's normal, but it's not something that's truly wrong, and so therefore you just kind of go with the flow on that and and do what everybody else does. But um, but generally speaking, just uh, following what everybody else does, and if you're confused at all, look to the servers. If they're standing you should probably be be, sta- be standing too. Or if they're kneeling, then that's a, probably a good position to assume if there's nobody else there to look at to see what they're what they're doing. That's always a, an easy "what do I do now?" type of type of uh, of situation. Um, you know, Father, one some, one situation where that that immediately comes up that I just thought about as you said that I, I thought um, at the credo low mass on a weekday when there's no sermon. You know, as soon as you're done for the gospel, the priest uh, then moves towards the, uh, if there is a credo that day, you see the altar servers go down. Some people, I think, remain standing because they feel they're supposed to be kneeling for uh, uh, the incarnatus est. Should they be kneeling or should they be standing? Well, that's a, that's another one that's truly a, a custom. You know, here at St. Gertrude's, um, I believe the, the servers kneel and... Um, but uh, in other places I've been to, the servers will stand throughout the credo and genuflect at, with the priest at the at the encounter. Ah, okay. So it's so it's it's one of those things that you know nobody really wrote a book on. This is how the Universal Church attends a low mass, and we have to realize too the part of the reason for that is you know pews and 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 places to actually sit are in the terms of two thousand years of church are relatively new. To coming into the church, so uh, a lot of times you were either standing or kneeling, and that was the beginning end of it. And uh, uh, so it was, um, you know, so that whole pew idea is, you know, is relatively uh, new to to church uh, uh, churches and that uh, are part of the church, uh, of Catholic liturgy. So there's no real true universal thing, but there are some that are uh, universal practices. So. For instance, the gospel. Um, no matter where you go, people should be standing for for the gospel when it's read. Um, that is something that it should definitely be done. Uh, the canon of the mass. So from the, the time the bells ring for the sanctus, uh, so when the priest finishes the preface, everybody should get, be getting themselves into the kneeling position. Now it's not a race. You don't have to do like you said that lady that you know, slams the ground at 100 miles an hour and creates a crater. Um, you know, you don't have to do that. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, especially if it's a, you don't wait till the till the end of the Sanctus to, to go. It's when the preface ends, you are now in the canon and you, um, so when the bells start to ring, you start to kneel. And, um, and, uh, and, so, and you should stay kneeling all the way through the canon, through after 
communion time and, uh, and, the, and the Blessed Sacrament is back in the tabernacle, or if there's no communion given and it's just the priest saying Mass until after he receives communion under both species. And, uh, and then, you know, that should be, you know, absolutely a, a time of kneeling. Now, it's important, I think, just to, uh, on a comment with this, is that part of that kneeling, standing, sitting rubrics, those are the, the three general rubrics for, for, for people attending Mass. Uh, those are three distinct rubrics. And, you know, if you're not able to kneel, that's okay. You know, if you're physically, you know, you have bad knees or, you know, some sort of you're elderly and unable to do so, whatever it may be, then, you know, that's that's okay. Just sit during those kneeling times. But don't do the the half sit, half kneel idea where your butt is on the seat and your knees are kind of either dangling down or touching the the, few, the, the kneeler in front of you lightly, just pick one or the other because um, in addition to it being really sloppy looking and slouchy looking to, to you know, as a posture, it's a, it's a posture that's not very devout and it's not nice for our Lord. In addition to that, it, it can actually and, and has actually happened that um, that people by sitting kind of on the edge of that pew can actually uh, actually crack the pew. It certainly has has <laughs> happened, and uh, and and we have to realize that pews are extraordinarily expensive. And the thing about pews is they're not easy to repair when you just break off a chunk of it either. So it's uh, you know we just if you're sitting, you're sitting. If you're kneeling, you're kneeling. But do do either one of them by itself really so that's you know just because you can't kneel doesn't mean you're being um you're being some sort of you know you're being uh, undevout because you're unable to kneel fully by by actually just regularly sitting and you you know people will feel that need to kind of do the half in between thing but you know no don't uh you know just if you can't kneel just sit that, that being said if you can kneel and you're just being lazy you will you know don't be lazy and kneel up straight. So, uh, you know, I think it's important to uh, to kind of to, to grasp that because it actually not only in just outside of the rubric and the, the proper posture for it, but it also has a practical application for care of church furniture. So it's uh, um, and so just a kind of a little aside on that. And then, um, well, and uh, I was going to say, Father, if you're breaking church pews, we we need to have a conversation about some other choices in your life, also, right? <laughs> well, it's true, but uh, you know, but at the same time, you know, there there are people who are bigger than other people, and that's okay. And that this, and also, there are we have to realize that that front section of the pew it sounds weird, and you, nobody wants to be the guy that breaks the pew for sure, because you know then that's going to be horribly embarrassing on top of it all. But 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 also that some pews are different, and they might not be all that. They might be old, or they might not all be that sturdy in that little front section, which is basically just kind of without support to it, uh, you know. And so it could it could certainly happen. And uh, uh, and Bishop Dolan reminded me that in, in his experience that it has happened. So, <laughs> well, I, so I know I've been uh, I've been in, I've been seated in a chair when it's broken before, and I know how embarrassing that is. So I I can't imagine what that would be like uh, in church. So and and I think what you had said earlier, Father, I think it's important because as trads, we're so used to being told if we came over from the Novus Ordo that we were wrong to kneel. 
And, and so, you know, I think sometimes we do a lot of our actions with conviction. You're like, well, I'm, I'm going to kneel. For, I'm going to be the first person to stand for the gospel because I need to show these other chumps, you know, when, when they're supposed to stand. And I think part of that is we all have to, within ourselves, realize that, you know, be patient with, some, with people. If, if they're new to the chapel, let them know what the custom Maybe they're coming from a chapel where they didn't do that. Or, you know, I've seen some chapels, um, they will not sit. So at some chapel, you know, in sub-chapels, as a priest is getting ready to say the sermon, he will remove his maniple and, and sort of set the altar to be ready for when he comes back. And people start sitting as soon as uh, uh, Laos TV Christe is, is said. As other, I, I know other parishes that will not sit until the priest is in the pulpit. They, it, it, they, will, they will not sit. Now, I don't think either practice is wrong, but I think if you see someone sitting down, you know, don't, don't, don't bite their head off later. They, they may have come from a different parish and just say, you ask them, you know, you can ask them an innocent question. Say, you know, what, what's, what's your, uh, I noticed that, you know, when you, uh, when we had the, uh, at, at, the ser- at the sermon, you sat down, was that how it was at your last parish? That's a non-threatening question. It doesn't, it doesn't imply that they're wrong. It doesn't imply that you're right. It's simply an informational question, and and hopefully uh, you're not making them feel unwelcome. And, and if they do, if they do follow up, and if they're goodwill, just say, you know, just that's our practice here. That's what we do. You know, there's there's no sin involved. That's just our custom. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I think going from. Go ahead. Sorry, Stephen. No, no, I'm, that's all, Father. Um, I, I I think going from mass rubrics, I think it flows nicely into. Uh, communion rubrics. Now, people are probably thinking to themselves, rubrics for communion, you go up and, you know, as long as you get the whole kneeling part of it, uh, the communion on the tongue part of it right, you're, you're probably doing all right. And you know, largely, yes, but, but I think there's some, a few points that, you know, very briefly, I think need to be mentioned in regards to, uh, to receiving communion. Uh, first and foremost, you know, we talked about focus at Mass, even more so focus as you're going up to receive our Lord, uh, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and Holy Communion. Don't be, you know, do everything you can to keep yourself from being distracted. Don't be talking. Don't be looking around. Don't be, you know, paying attention to Susie's hat or uh, to paying attention to uh, you know, the fact that uh, someone's shirt back has come untucked on you know uh, in front of you or whatever it may be focus on what you're about to do receiving christ in, in holy communion and being as prayerful and recollected as that as, as possible and when you're kneeling at the altar same you know, at the altar rail same thing goes don't be looking around all about you don't be watching other people receive communion you should be focusing on what you're doing you should you know either be if the priest is standing there focus on receiving communion and if he's down at the other end of the line for communions at the other end of the rail then you know either have yourself in a you know kind of a a downward eyes look to be recollected or focus on a statue of a saint or the altar or whatever it may be but it should all be very prayerful and uh and and very quiet as you're walking up have your hands uh you know, together as you're praying, uh, you know, hands joined together as you walk to and from the communion rail. Um, and being quiet also means not only don't talk, but also 
getting up and moving, uh, something that is, is uh, kind of like this, uh, this uh, it's a strange thing. People are coming up for communion, and then you know that they're moving to allow people to walk, so it's not that they're doing something bad, but there's this, all of a sudden, there's this big cacophony of noise of all the kneelers slamming up or slamming down from going to or from communion, and it's just, you know, very disruptive. You know, if you have to move the kneeler up so people can walk, do so very, you know, slowly and, and carefully so it doesn't make any noise, and, uh, and you know, there's no, there's no race to get up there, just take the extra second, and and so that that air of of, of, of holiness stays in the church um, as much as possible. Um, and then when you get to the rail, uh, I think this is where things really get kind of jumbled up. People get the kneeling part, and people get the sticking out their tongue part. And for the most part, unless they're newcomers, they understand the. They don't say amen, the priest says amen uh, to, to the communion prayer for the traditional mass. But what most people don't get is actually how to receive communion. Um, first off is the hands. If you're kneeling there, don't just because you have your hands together in a prayerful way, don't keep them tucked up underneath your chin. Uh, when the priest comes there, the server's communion patent has to go underneath your chin. So if your hands are in the way, it doesn't allow the patent to get there, and you know, and that patent needs to be there so we can protect against the host or any particle of the host falling at all. And uh, um, I remember so, as a server, I had to do the uh, the finger beat down, you know, with the patent sometimes, yeah. you know, just just a light, like kind of tap, like I need I need you to move your hands down. Yep. And, that, and nobody likes to do that, you know. Nobody likes to do that. It's something that you, we got to do, but. It's, you know, nobody likes being the one to disrupt, you know, the pious lady who's deep in thought and prayer as she's about to receive our Lord and just, like, smacking her in the hands with the with the communion patent. So to avoid all that, you know, keep your hands down lower. Uh, if your church has a communion cloth, as, you know, as is, uh, is the appropriate custom, then, you know, put your hands under the cloth. That's where they're supposed to be, that underneath that communion cloth. And, and then... Um, if you have a small child that maybe their head just barely they're of communion age and their head but their head just barely comes up above the the altar rail it will, you have to teach them to keep their hands lower too because um, because even if they put their hands under the communion cloth they're still going to be right underneath their chin so they still got to keep their hands down low too um, now Father, with, the with, uh, with the communion cloth I've been taught um, and correct, please correct me if I'm wrong I've been taught either to if you're going to have a communion cloth to place your hands palms up to form a flatter surface so that if the host does fall, it's not falling onto a peaked surface where it could bounce, bounce off and onto the ground or to, or to just have your hands underneath the, the rail so that again, if the host falls, it's falling onto a flat surface. I think the idea is to, is more of the, because you actually want your hands under the cloth, so I think it's more of that, uh, that creating a, a kind of a palms-up flat surface underneath you so you can actually pull it towards you. Because if you just put them under the rail, there could be a gap between you and the cloth. And okay. so it would be better to, to, to actually have your hands under the cloth and, like you said, palms up so that it's more of a flat surface. Um, but it actually, it, in a way, it, it kind of extends the cloth towards you and in that way um, bridges the gap 
uh, it does what the the cloth is 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 there for. Um, you know, oftentimes it's not really that much of a of a difference because you know, your head might be over the, the communion rail anyways. But uh, to, you know, sometimes uh, depending on how it's configured, it might might not be. So um, so just whatever is easiest um, to do and whatever seems most fitting uh, in that regard uh, with the cloth. The um, <clears throat> with uh, uh, with the actual receiving of communion, I think it's also important to to, to talk about how, where people's head should be. Um, you know, people need to tilt their head back uh, and actually tilt it backwards um, and stick out their you know open their mouth and stick out their tongue. Um, it, it's we were talking about here, and it's it's funny. The number one offender for this is is. Our young girls. Yeah, that's and, uh, and Bishop Dolan said, you know, the one the one time you want them to open their mouth they, is when they don't do it. So, <laughs> and it's uh, uh, um, it's 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 true. You know, for some reason, it's almost like they're, they're cognizant of making a kind of a funny looking face by doing so, whatever it may be. But it's really difficult for a priest to try to, you know, it's almost like trying to stick a coin in a slot almost if you keep your head tilted forward and your mouth not really all that open or your tongue not sticking out, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult to get the host in there without any kind of danger to, um, to, to, the, to the host itself. And I think, so, you're, re- I you think know, you're really onto something with that, Father, that idea of, of looking stupid. People, people don't realize, but what they don't realize is if, if, they don't, if they don't do it, then they actually put us not only as altar servers, but I pre-see it far more often. I'm I'm an old grizzled uh, retired altar server now, so I, I I don't I don't have these situations. But but you'd watch these million ways. You know, people create a mailbox for our Lord, or they do this salamander thing where their tongue just sort of darts out and darts back in. And and these are all this is distracting. And you're thinking the altar boy is just you know I don't want to laugh, but they're they're making it more difficult. And then you've got Father's got to figure out a way to deliver our Lord to you because you are you're making it difficult. And I, it's one of these weird things. It's not anything you get taught. Maybe, I think probably should be taught at First Communion. Maybe people weren't taught this, but yes, it may look a little odd, but you're making it easier. The priest has to go up and down the line as you're saying head back, uh, you know, tongue extended as far as possible, maybe your mouth open as well. Just, you know, yes, if someone were to take a picture of you at that point, it probably wouldn't be your Facebook profile photo. But that's not important. You're there to receive our Lord. It's not about how you look um, at any age. Um, and and right. I think you're, you're talking about something that's really practical and important. Oh, very much so. And I think people also need to realize is that nobody is looking at them. You know, that's the thing. Everybody else has to do the exact same thing. And, you know, and your, your tongue looks you know, pretty much the same as everybody else's tongue, and uh, and you know, people shouldn't be watching you anyway. So, so don't worry about what you look like as long as you're receiving our Lord reverently and uh, and in a manner that is going to be safe for the sacred species. So, so it's um, you know, I think I I think you know, for all those parents who are listening, it's it's really a a good thing right now when you're hearing this to think, okay, maybe tonight I will go through with my children uh, on how they should receive communion. You know, it's, it sounds silly, but it's something that as a priest, I can say that, you know, it's, you have, it's almost 
like rolling, you know, flipping a coin, whether or not someone's going to actually stick their tongue out. It's that, it happens that often that people, me, you know, mess this up in some way, and it and it just makes everybody's uh, life a little more difficult, and also puts the, the host at more risk in that regard. So, um, you know, so parents, take your time. Even if you think, okay, my my well, my daughter or my son is 15. I don't need to do that. That's okay. You know what? Uh, because still still do it with them too because it's not just young kids that are getting it wrong it's 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 a, it's people of all ages and so it's something that to to just go over real quickly with them and so they all know this is the proper way to receive communion this is how we receive our lord and so it's head tilted back tongue out and as still as possible and when the priest puts the, the host on your tongue don't leave it sticking out there for you know long period of time once the host is securely on your tongue take it back into your mouth and then something that most people don't do but is really the best practice is to swallow your host there at the rail now some older people might have difficulty with this because their mouths might be drier and might take them longer and that's a that's a whole different situation whatsoever but you know if it's a you know if you can swallow a host within you know, a matter of a few seconds without really disrupting the flow of things, then do it at the rail rather than, you know, receiving communion and then jumping up and racing back to your pew. Meanwhile, you still have our Lord in your mouth, and it's, you know, it's really just not uh, respectful in that way, and it's not edifying uh, for, for that. And then um, one last point in regards to communion is, parents, if your children are coming up with you to the rail and they're not going to receive communion, Teach them to put either a finger or their hand over their mouth. Uh, you, you may think to you that it's obvious that they're not of first Holy Communion age, and you may think that, well, gee, I know Father really well, and so he should know that they're not of first Holy Communion age. But when you're going down a line of, you know, 120 people to give them communion, you don't think of who's of Communion age and who's not. Um, you know, we, we have no idea sometimes, and sometimes kids are really close looking in age or whatever. Just teach all your kids to put their finger or their hand over their mouth. That way they know that they're not receiving Holy Communion. They're just simply accompanying their parents up to the rail. So I think um, that's important too. I think, and, and just, to, just to bookend your conversation on, on, re, on receiving Father, I think all of those actions just need to be done smoothly and genteelly. There, there isn't an urgency about it. I, I was thinking as you were saying, you know, the, ho- the host is put on your tongue. Don't snap your mouth shut. Don't pull your tongue back in. Just slowly take your time and do it. And as you say, I think that's an excellent practice to, to, um, to swallow the host right there. And then you have our Lord for a few minutes, essentially, to yourself, literally. Um, to to, to kind of uh, take us into our next topic, Father, communion is the time when when you get to see everybody. I think part of the challenge for those of us who go back from communion is it's sort of a a licensed people-watching time. Everyone's in front of you, and you're like, oh, I think I'll just just watch everybody go to communion. And I've been been guilty of this on more than one occasion. You just get caught people-watching, and then, you know, before you know it, you've lost your time, your private time with our Lord that you just had. And um, for me personally, the best way to deal with this is usually to look down or to close my eyes because otherwise I just get pulled into it. And um, yeah. uh, you yourself, uh, you 
are serving uh, communion to everyone who's presenting themselves, uh, you not only get to see everyone, you're, that's part of what you're doing, but you also get to see how they're dressed. And that's, that's the last thing that we want to address today, which is uh, clothing for Mass. And, and we know that we're going to step on some toes. And, and uh, for me personally, I'm happy to jump on those toes for you, Father. Um, but uh, let, let, let's get into that. Um, you know, what should we be thinking about as we're getting ready for Mass? Okay. Well, you know, I think it's, it's important that um, we have this general recognition, not only clothing-wise, but all things that come with us going to Mass, that, you know, we're there to worship God and to serve God and to, and to be there before Him. And so um, we should present ourselves in a way that is pleasing and respectful to God. I think that has to be the number one thing. But also with that is cutting out, you know, the, the extras. You don't need to show up to Mass with, you know, every single bracelet and ring that you have in your jewelry drawer so you can jingle down the aisle and draw as much attention to yourself. You know, you don't need the biggest of, you know, chandelier earrings to draw attention to yourself. Uh, you should look very proper as much as possible, but uh, but at the same time, uh, not not anything that's you know to to you know take people's attention off of what's going on at mass and draw them to yourself. So that's part of it. The other part is uh, before we get into the actual dress itself is one uh, common uh, you know device that comes with people everywhere they go now is that of a cell phone. And you know we're we're beyond the days really of of, of pagers, I guess. So you know, uh, and, but uh, not too many people have pagers anymore. But cell phones are now the new thing that are attached to everybody's hip and pocket, and uh, and they all make all sorts of noises. And oftentimes, people don't even have the best choice of ringtones. And you know, the last thing you want to hear is uh, you know is Michael Jackson going off in the middle of your, your mass <laughs> because someone forgot to turn their phone off. You know, you know it's, it's, and, nobody and again, needs to if Michael ja- I was going to say, if, if Michael Jackson is your ringtone, we need to talk about your life choices anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, but you know, it, but it's it's you know, everybody going into church should turn their phone off. Just you know, not on silent, not on vibrate, off. You know, it should be off because it should be something that you don't even think about in that time in church. Now, obviously, if you're a a doctor or you're a police officer on call or a firefighter on call or, you know, your uh, your grandmother is in the hospital or something like that and you need to have a phone on, then that's a different situation if you legitimately need to be on call for something. But in those situations, then you should put it on vibrate. That way you're still not – you're causing as little disturbance to those around you as possible because oh, I, um, I don't know if it's been your experience father but I've always found that the, the people whose cell, cell phones go off are sort of there's an inverse proportion to their importance so you know, <laughs> you know the, the person whose phone goes off is the person who is not on call not a doctor not a lawyer not, not a police officer not a firefighter they're, they're getting a call from <laughs> it's not in the least important. It's never, it's never a, someone's dying right. somewhere and they need to leave. It's always something unimportant. No. It's Sunday. Hopefully your fellow Catholic friends know you're at Mass. Why are they calling you? Yeah. It's, it's the chime you, of the you, ring going off that, 
of yeah. your Facebook update, you know. Right. And, and if your if your friends don't know that you're at mass on Sunday, if your if your non-Catholic friends don't know that you're 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 at mass on Sunday, that's another problem. But you should have certain designated no-go times. And if someone does call you, you know, let them know. Say, hey, by the way, don't ever ever call me at ten whatever your you know ten o'clock on Sundays. I'm I, I from nine to noon. I'm not going to be available. You know, I think it's important. Right. You know, let people know. I mean, let's say they do call you, whatever. I, I, I think I'm probably of the, the school of thought, Father, that cell phones probably need to be turned off, uh, if not on yeah. silent. There's, there's absolutely zero reason. And again, we understand people are new to a chapel. They may be new to traditional Catholicism. This is all new for them. I mean, I don't know what it's like in a Novus Ordo church. I haven't been in a Novus Ordo, you know, uh, sect, you know, temple for a long time. But I don't... Um, I don't know what it's like, but I know if you're new, you know, we're not talking about you. We're talking to people who've been attending the traditional mass for years. And for some reason, they feel the need to bring their, their cell phone into mass on with the ringer on. And uh, right. I, there doesn't need to be an announcement. Father doesn't need to say, you know, uh, you know please uh, turn your cell phones off for tonight's performance. You know, there, there's no, no need for that. You're at mass. You should be, you should be conscious of that. Yeah. And, you, and chances are your traditional priest deals with deals with flight attendants enough to be completely annoyed by all the requests of turning off your phone. So we don't need to make it here at the church either. So it's, um, yeah, but it's, you almost feel like you, you, you wish you could have someone actually standing by the door with a basket for a collection of cell phones because it's just, you know, nothing disrupts. And it never happens at, like, a point that's, you know, like, uh, I don't know, the procession out from, from behind, <laughs> you know, to start mass. It always happens at, like, the elevation or something, <laughs> you know. It's, um, it, it's, it's the most solemn part of mass whatsoever. So, it's yeah, just turn your phones off. That's, you know, we, we have a sign here at St. Gertrude saying as much, standing in the middle of the foyer, you know, just turn your phones off. You know, the priest isn't bringing his phone out to the altar. You don't need to bring yours out to the altar either. And, uh, and so just turn you're it not, off. You're and, not um, that important. You're not that important. Exactly, turn it off. Exactly. <laughs> Do- doctors and police officers, you know, aside. And like you said, usually they're discreet enough that they put it on vibrate and uh, will take the, the call outside the church, you know, and so, or call them back or whatever. So it's, it's um, you know, just, just use common sense in that regard. Um, but uh, then, um, but then, getting back at to the, to the task at hand here, you know, dress uh, at church. You know, first and foremost, it has to be modest. We are not, uh, you know, we we are not part of the the Novus Ordo sect. We are not part of uh, Protestant sects, which sadly, actually, a lot of Protestant sects, you know, do better than most you know, Catholics uh, do uh, in this regard. But, you know, we're, we're not here just as like some other place that you're showing up to. This is, this is churches is where you come to God. First off, you should be modest in your, in your life all the while. You don't want to be a temptation but to, to others towards, towards sin, but, uh, but even more so at, at church. You know, this is, this is where you come to forget about yourself and to think of and remember God. And so, you know, for modesty standards, don't you know for men you have to wear slacks and you know to wear wear proper trousers to mass and uh you know wear um you know a, a suit and uh, and and dress modestly in the fact that you as a gentleman would and usually it's easier for men because as long as they don't wear shorts then you you know at least moving in the right direction modesty wise uh women it's always a, more of a fight for for modesty but you know, we have to think 
you know, how am I going to be, you know, I'm coming to, I'm coming to the altar of the crucifixion of our Lord. You know, Our Lady was at the altar of the, the crucifixion when it happened on that Good Friday. Then I should be as merry-like as possible. I should be uh, as modest as possible, always having that mindset of being modest. So, you know, every church that's a traditional chapel that I know of has modesty standards. You know, dress, dresses or skirts have to be below the knee when not only when you're standing but when you're sitting. The dress should become below your knee, and uh, it should not have a, a long slit in it or anything like that. It shouldn't be form-fitting. Um, you should have a shirt that is not see-through, and your shirt should have sleeves to it. And I'm not talking little cap sleeves that cover the just the bit of shoulder blade, but actual sleeves, you know, coming down at least to the elbow. Um, and, uh, and, you know, no low necklines or back lines. You get two two inches from the base of your neck. These are the standards of modesty for, for women, and they're not... Uh, they're not things to just be like, well, it's kind of, you know, a roundabout area. No, be 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 very strict with yourself in that regard. Have have some dignity. Have some have some love for God in in that respect, and the love for for not only your own soul but for for other people's show. This is not, you know, this is not a, a, a you know, this is not a show of yourself. This is this is uh, some you know. This is this is mass. This is you know. This is, should be your your rule of modesty uh, in that regard. And um, and you know. And do note that if someone is is dressed you know in a way that is immodest. Not and I'm not talking you know a little bit past the the, the line that we draw here. But uh, I mean, but grossly immodest. You know, plunging neckline that you know that or something like that. It's our duty to to actually refuse them communion. So you know this is how serious it is. Um, and for women, you know, you, don't forget about head cover. Most chapels will have a basket of of veils if you don't have one yourself or you forgot one uh, that you can wear on your head, but uh, or a nice uh, hat or something in that regard. And for men, don't forget to take your your hats off. Uh, that's that's the what. Uh, modesty is for dress so you know i think it's something that people hear but they can never hear enough of and also i think people really need to say it's not just something father's saying and it's not just throwbacks to uh an antiquated time that we're trying to we're not up with the times no this is this is something that is that goes beyond just um you know what's custom and goes to to the, the point of what's modest what is something that is going to not cause other people to be tempted to sin and then that that is really really important uh, when it comes to dress Um, also in regards to dress we 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 cover the rules for modesty we also should cover the rules of of properness with that now this is something that is outside of what's modest this is just what is becoming and what should be worn at every chapel, um, you know, men. And, and you know, <clears throat> Father, can I can I hit pause just for a second? The, those of us, those of you who are listening to our stream live, we're going to be at the end of our live stream. Uh, we're only allowed two hours of live stream. So, if you're listening to us live, it, you're going to get cut off here in a second. But don't worry, I'm going to go into overtime with Father, and I'm I'm thinking it's probably going to be another 15 minutes. So just wait about 15 minutes. The show will wrap, drop into download form. You can download and then fast forward to the final 15 minutes and get caught up. But so don't panic. It's going to cut off. Um, but uh, we'll.
Father and I are going to continue our conversation, and, and you can listen to it in about 15 minutes. So sorry about that, Father. Please continue. Oh, sorry. And so for for proper dress, you know, men, this is where we start to get into things that men really tend to, to violate. You know, men should realize that they should show up to, to Mass, for especially for a Sunday. You know, it's not a situation where they're coming from work and they just happen to be able to get to a Mass devotion of a devotion or something like that. But uh, they should show up to Mass in a suit, you know. So you should have dress slacks on. You should have a shirt, a dress shirt on with a tie, and a suit coat. Um, you know, there should not be any sports coats. There's, you know, not not. I mean, sports coats as in sports teams on your coat, like a s- starter jacket or whatever is, people make these days. Um, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> can you tell them? You know, it's, uh, but it's uh, you know you shouldn't have you know you know you should have a, a dress coat on a suit coat on. Um, you shouldn't have a, a, a coat with a big logo on it or a shirt with a logo on it or anything like that. You know, it's, it should be dress, attire, shirt, tie, suit coat. And, um, and also with that is dress shoes and dress socks. No, no sneakers, no, uh, no sandals. No, don't wear white socks uh, with your dress shoes. Don't, uh, you know, don't wear your hooded sweatshirt over your shirt and tie. Don't, you know, all of these things, it's, you know, you should appear in, you know, semi-formal attire in, in, in that regard. And it's, so it's, um, you know, that's, just remember that, you know, some, sometimes seeing that before uh, people wearing white dress, uh, white, you know, tube socks with, with dress shoes and dress slacks and thinking to myself, I will buy you a pair of black socks if you, can, you know, if, if need be. It's, you know, you, you, it's from head to toe, you know, dress appropriately. And then the, the, the same goes for, for, for women, you know, uh, you know, dress skirts and, and, and blouses and things. Don't, don't wear, just because you, you think you can put a skirt on and a, and a top that's, that's modest, don't just wear any old T-shirt because it, well, it comes up to my neck and therefore it's good enough. No, don't, you know, I don't want to see your, your favorite sports team on a T-shirt. I want to see you wearing the same type of dress attire that uh, is appropriate for a woman as uh, men would have to wear dress attire. And uh, you know, same thing with the jackets. Don't just put on any kind of, you know, sports team uh, jacket or jacket with a big logo on it or something like that. And then dress shoes. And I think this is something that needs to be addressed with in regards to women. You know, put on dress shoes as well. You're dressing up. You might as well go all the way down to the feet. Put on dress shoes. Don't wear your sneakers. Don't wear, uh, you know, flip-flops when it's warm out. You know, that, um, you know, that just because you're wearing a, a, a skirt and you can kind of get away without having, in that regard, you, you know, women don't have to wear socks per se. Uh, doesn't mean that just because you don't have to wear socks doesn't mean you don't have to wear shoes. You know, you still need to wear actual shoes, not not flip-flops, not sandals, uh, anything like that. You know, we, from head to toe, we dress up. It's our Sunday vest. If we were to go to a wedding, we would dress for a wedding. And this is Mass. This is Christ himself coming upon the altar. And even more so, we have to dress up for, for our Lord. You know, we would dress up for important people. If we were meeting, if we were meeting you know, the, the, the President of the United States or a king or something, you know, we wouldn't show up in a, in a hoodie and faded jeans. 
we'd show up in a suit at least. And, you know, we're meeting the king of kings here at church. You know, this, this is all very, um, you know, very important in that regard. And I think that that whole, and there's something to be said also about if you dress the part, then it will help bring your mind and your soul in line with that to be, you know, truly one without any kind of worry or distraction at a, at a mass, you know, that, you know, if your exterior is, uh, is conducive to what's actually happening, then it will help to draw your interior more, more focused in that way. And, uh, and so we should be the whole package, you know, focused on mass from, from head to toe in and out. So, now, Father, when you say Sunday best, is there such a thing as a weekday second, a second best? Uh, I'm on my, on my way to Mass. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm trying to go to work. Maybe I dress differently at work. Uh, wearing a suit at work wouldn't work. Um, so Sunday best, is there a weekday second best? Well, yeah, and I think it has to be, you know, that recognition. You know, if you're on your way to work or on your way home from work and, you know, you're coming to a Mass out of devotion for a weekday Mass, and say you know, say you're a construction worker, and you you get off the, the the job site, and you're heading home, and you think, look at your watch, and you realize, oh great, there's mass, and you know I'm five minutes from the church, and there's mass in 15 minutes. I'll stop by before I go home to to go to mass. Then come as you are, as long as you have pants. You know, I mean, don't don't come in in shorts. But you know, if you you know, it's uh, and you know, ladies, you know, maybe carry a skirt. Uh, well, you should wear a skirt all the time, really. But uh, you know, just if it, it, you know, you know, always be kind of realizing what you have to have. If you're a lady, you know, have a, a, a you know a veil in your car or something uh, all the time. But um, you know, just ready for it. But if you're if you're coming in in your work clothes, because um, you know you you have to. You you know you, it's the only way you can do it. Then that's fine. You know that's you're because you're coming out of devotion purely out of devotion to our Lord on an extra day, and you know you have to fit it into your busy life schedule. And God knows that. Um, now, if you're just sitting at home twiddling your thumbs all day, not twiddling your thumbs, but if you're just at home and ready access to to church type clothes, then you should put on church clothes. You know if uh, if you can come to a mass. And you're um, and you have easy access to, to church clothes, then um, then then do that, you know. But if if you're just um, if you just happen to be like I said, uh, being able to to come and it's in the middle of doing something and you don't have on, you know, say you have on that you're you're a woman, you dressed, you have your skirt on, but you but you're wearing a you know a, a sweatshirt um, with with the skirt. That's that's fine, you know. I mean just. You know, but and you're out. You were out shopping, and you had extra time to be able to make it to mass. That's that's fine. Those things are are absolutely fine because you're coming out of out of devotion to God, and it's something that you have fit into your your busy life schedule. So, well, uh, we've had a a long conversation today. I think I told you before the show that uh, we had quite a bit to handle. Uh, ourselves, mm-hmm. and I know that uh, one of the things that we had talked about before the show was people asking about confession uh, because of mass, and so we made the decision not to talk about confession today because we thought it was going to be quite a lot to get through, and as it turns out, we were right. Not only was it two hours, but we went over. Uh, so just to do some 
questions. Um, can you address uh, confession in the context of mass? What should be the expectation? We're going to do a show on confession later in the season, so we don't need to cover that ground now. But just in terms of your obligation and, and uh, going to confession, what should we be mindful of? All right. Well, you know, the obligation to go to confession is there if you are, you know, if you have fallen into mortal sin, then you want to go. You know, then you should get to confession. Uh, certainly, um, you know, most chapels, if the priest is around um, uh, during the week, he'll have confessions on Fridays and Saturdays, and uh, you know, or whatever other schedule he has arranged for his chapel or something along those lines. Then, you know, try to get to confession on those days. If you can't, that's fine you know usually confession is offered before mass on a sunday um but uh, you should uh if you if you need to go to confession on a sunday then get yourself there in enough time get there early uh be one of the first ones to the confession line because uh if the priest is by himself and he has to cut off confessions to get ready for mass he doesn't like telling people that are in line waiting to receive confession that they can't come because he has to get ready for mass but he has an obligation to keep mass on schedule so show up early and that way you'll make sure that you got your confession heard and if you're at a place that has multiple priests like for instance here at st gertrude's and you know maybe the priest doesn't have to say that mass that's coming up and he will stay in the confessional line until um uh, until all the confessions are heard this doesn't mean you shouldn't show up early just because well you know father's going to be in the in the in the confessional a little later anyways no i mean while it's true if you you know if you get stuck in that situation you can you, you can still continue to wait in line and go to confession while mass has begun uh, and you're not doing anything wrong or impious in, in that regard it is certainly much better uh to to be able to get to confession before mass begins and then that way you can attend um, without any kind of splitting of, uh, of thoughts or distractions at all, uh, the entirety of the Mass. So, um, you know, just in general, I think showing up to confession early um, is good. And if, you know, the priest is not in the confessional yet and, you know, he's running, uh, uh, get, you know, say confessions start at 7.10 and, he's, uh, and he sees that a pe- people are there, then he'll he'll make sure he gets in there as, as soon as possible. Um, so, um, you know, whereas, um, you know, there's nothing more, there's nothing more from a priest standpoint, there's nothing more disheartening than, uh, you know, you get into the confessional, say confession started 45 minutes before mass started and you get in the confessional and nobody comes. And then in the last 20 minutes, all of a sudden there's a huge line at the confessional and you have to start mass up and you have to cut off the line. And all you can think to yourself is, well, if people showed up, during that 20 minutes before or 25 minutes before I, you know, they started coming into the confessional, then I could have probably got most, if not everybody heard in that time. And, uh, so, you know, if you, if you, if you need to go to confession, then, then make it a point to get there nice and early. That way you can go to confession, maybe have time to even say your penance before the mass starts and, uh, and then be ready to just solely focus on mass itself. So I think that's, that's as much as I really want to get into confessional. Like you said, there's a whole loaded topic of, of confession, which we can deal with at, an, at another time. Um, uh, then there was one thing, if I can go back, Stephen, that I did want to touch on briefly. Um, Absolutely. We talked about uh, 
the beginning of Mass, you know, preparation for Mass. We talked about attending Mass. We talked about Holy Communion. Uh, the one thing we didn't get to touch, touch on was uh, after Mass, making Thanksgiving after Mass. Just as important as, uh, you know, if, if not even, maybe even more important than, uh, than, uh, than making a preparation for Mass. It's, you know, really important to, to make a, a Thanksgiving for, for Mass. I mean, it's truly a wonderful gift from God. I mean, you're receiving God himself. And just like you wouldn't, you wouldn't get a present from somebody and not say thank you to them. You, at the same time, you would still you would want to be thankful to God, and um, and so that time after Mass, not that okay, priest walks around the corner of the altar. I'm gonna you know jump up and run to the to the to the parish hall so I can grab a uh, you know be the first one in line for coffee and donuts, or uh, you know that way I can or I can jump in the car and that way I can get home and get my you know my nacho tray ready in time for the for the game to this afternoon or something like that you know like no you come to mass you you know be thankful that you come to mass and have that time afterwards to thank christ for 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 uh offering himself as that sacrifice and being able to receive him um you know there's saint alphonsus Liguori said of of making a thanksgiving after mass he said, there is no prayer more agreeable to God or more profitable to the soul than that which is made during Thanksgiving after Holy Communion. And so it's, uh, you know, it, if there's ever a time in your life that you pray, it should be after you receive Holy Communion. And you should take that time when Mass is finished to, you know, there's plenty of prayers in your missal of Thanksgiving prayers for after mass, many of them have indulgences to them. Uh, you know, there's you know, your soul is purer than 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 at any other time. You you still might even have Christ, you know, corporally dwelling within you, because you know, as the Catechism tells us, that it's usually usually at least 15 minutes that our Lord is still physically present with within you after communion, um, and then certainly spiritually present there with you with all those sacramental graces that go along with it that you know we should take the time to make um you know a, a good thanksgiving you know it's you know and, and definitely definitely not running out um as soon as the masses is is done you know the the the, the, the movement of people towards the door while the while the the, the closing hymn is still being sung you know it's uh, you know, absolutely not. You know, just take the time. You, you've come to Mass. You've invested your time to be here at Mass. Take a few extra minutes when Mass is finished and, and benefit, you know, reap those rewards from our Lord and also just give thanks to Him for that wonderful gift that He's given you. I mean, you, you, I mean, take a second to think about that. You've received God Himself, the Creator of of you and your your own self and all of the universe around you, uh, uh, you you've received him, you know, on your on your own tongue. Uh, you, you've seen the greatest miracle of all of, of heaven coming down and touching earth. You know, take a few minutes to to reflect upon that and be prayerful about it and and give thanks for it after after mass. So, you know, Thanksgiving after mass is one of the most important things outside of the mass itself. 
the, the stress, you know, that um, I wish people, more people would take advantage of that time to be uh, of, of quiet prayer and, uh, with our Lord after, after Holy Communion. The last thing I wanted to add, Father, I, I mentioned this on the, on the blog at True Restoration, that I was edified to see here uh, at my parish that people are taking notes on the sermon. I don't mean like lecture notes at a university, but I saw a man with a notebook, and, and when Father would say a phrase, he would, he would jot that down, and then he'd put the notebook back down. I saw a couple people recording digitally the sermons. Uh, obviously, there's no obligation to do that, but I have to imagine you wouldn't mind if people did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, of course not, because then, then more than ever, you, you're realizing that people are taking something that they plan on reflecting on afterwards. You know, it's always very edifying to me to hear, because at both St. Gertrude's and at St. Hugh in Milwaukee, we record the sermons and then we make them available on the internet, either at St. Gertrude's on our own website or at St. Hugh via, you know, uh, the traditional Catholic sermons website. Uh, you know, we always take, you know, take the, the care to record them. And I'm always edified to hear that someone will go back and listen to the sermon again a second time and get something new out of it. And it's, um, you know, I think that's, you know, important. And if that means that you jot something, you know, priest says a quote or says, uh, makes a point that you think is really important in your own life and you feel it important enough to, to jot down because you want to revisit it later, then that's, you know, that's, that's what we want in our sermons. Not that everybody comes with notebook in hand, but, uh, but we want people to take the message away from the sermon and apply it to their own life. You know, no, no priest cares if you remember who preached the sermon. What we do care about is that the message that comes out of the sermon is, uh, is received and is digested and, and put into practice. You know, it's, um, you know, it's, that's, that's what we want. That's what the, the, the work into putting a sermon together is for, is that people will apply it to their lives and, and hopefully grow in grace uh, a little bit because, because of the, those thoughts. Thanks so much for your time. It, it, was, a, it was a long show today, wasn't it? It, it was a long show today. Hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody stuck with us all, all the way through. <laughs> but we had to, a lot to cover um, but if you have any questions uh, for us, you can always, or for Father, you can email us at pastoralia at truerestoration.org, and those emails will go right to Father. And uh, whether you have questions about previous shows that we've done, uh, questions uh, about today's show, or, uh, and here's where you get to participate, this is active participation, um, you can uh, send us a question that you'd like us to tackle on Pastoralia. And just remember, our sister show, Clerical Conversations, tackles issues that take more than 30 minutes to explain. We are the, the JV show, Junior Varsity. We, we <laughs> take questions under 30 minutes. So um, think about that. And it, it, that's fine. Even if you send that to us, we'll send that on to Clerical Conversations and they'll deal with it. But uh, feel free, uh, make sure. And, and, and if you have any personal stuff to speak, Father will be, Father will read your email. It, it won't be, you know, something that is, you know, forwarded to a, a bunch of people. So if you have a personal issue that you need to share with Father, um, you know, let you know, send it to Pastorelli, and then Father may give you his personal email address to to correspond with him on that matter. So don't feel like you have to tell your whole story. Just say I have a personal issue I'd like to discuss with Father. Can you put me in contact with him, and uh, and we can do that. All right. Thank you very much, Stephen. 
All right, Father Will, we'll see you soon. We at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you find this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, you would please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it may be. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. If you have any questions or comments or would like to reproduce our work on your channel in some format, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to leave us a message on our Twitter handle, at True Restoration, or via email at mail at truerestoration.org. For the Restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.